Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us for our special broadcast today. My returning guest is Dr. John Van Epp, who is the president and founder of an organization called Love Thinks, and he's the author of a book we're going to be talking about entitled How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. It's a book that blends in-depth research with compelling stories to provide a map for making healthy relationship choices. Dr. Van Epp, welcome again to Faith and Family. Oh, it's great to be here again. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, you're so welcome. And as we mentioned last time, uh, your book has been just a real hit with my own young adult children, with uh, college students and young adults who visit the Family Life Center. And I think that word jerk has something to do with it, to tell you the truth. I think there's a lot of broken hearts out there. Is that something that motivated you to try to prevent this type of thing from occurring? It is. And um, I think we should say, just by a way of disclaimer, uh, jerks have no gender. So in case so, I don't think we said this uh, last broadcast. Okay. both males and females can be difficult people to get along with in a relationship and can be troublesome and creating heartache. And so in our, in our program version of the book, um, because we have a program that people uh, are able to get certified in as well as teach, uh, but they, we call it jerks and jerkettes. Okay. So just, to, just to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. I, I guess I, look around and I'm astonished at how we tend to, we meaning um, the press, uh, particularly, you know, the the musicians and uh, actors and actresses, you know, kind of the tabloid world that gets a lot of attention, how we almost glamorize heartache. Mm. If somebody um, has gotten into a relationship and uh, breaks up, you know, on on the one hand, we're we're uh, almost normalize it, like, oh, well, what did you expect? That was going to happen, and things don't last. But for for these real people, I mean, we um, whether they're actors or actresses, or whether they're musicians, or whether they're you and I, heartache is heartache. I mean, we have we have watched people um, reach deep pits of depression and do all kinds of things that um, show how real it is, and, and extremely famous people at that. I mean, yeah. we just yeah. saw the tragedy of Robin Williams, which mm-hmm. was not a relational issue, but we've seen many, many that have struggled with relational issues and um, have acted out or had some breakdown in their life, and yet we tend to gloss over that. And so the reality that some people can really bring you down when you're in a relationship with them. We, you know, I, I believe relationships take two people and both people are involved, but I also believe that not all people are the same. And some people have their act together way better than others. And um, 
And you don't want to marry a jerk or a jerkette. You know, I have a I have a very easy way to define that. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you what exactly is a jerk or a jerkette. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll do it together here. Okay, Steve. So when um, my instructors or if I am teaching this course, we almost always begin with um, what we're talking about right now, and uh, we say, well, let's let's. Um, Let's brainstorm together. So if we have a group of people in the room, let's brainstorm together. What are characteristics of somebody very difficult to be with in a relationship? And so I, I fill up a whole board, um, usually from selfish to, mm-hmm. um, you know, angry or abusive or uh, addicts of some sort or people that um, are narcissistic or people that have very little conscience or unempathetic or, you know, it just goes on and on. Everybody throws out labels. And when I fill up the chart, I, I stop the class and I say, well, we all have to take a, a little bit of a step back here and um, have some humility. How many of you have been this in a relationship? And I point to, say, selfish. <laughs> and uh, some people raise their hand. And then I say, and what about this one? Um, uh, rude. And some people raise their hands, and I usually joke that it's the same people raising their hands. And then I say, those of you who didn't raise your hands are this, and I point to whether it's dishonest or liars or whatever else they had similar on there. And I say, listen, if all of us at one time or another have acted like a jerk, then what is the difference between acting like a jerk and being a jerk? Okay. Now... All right, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm all ears. Always, and almost always, the class can pinpoint it. They start narrowing it down from something broad like um, jerks don't seem to see their own problems, but then right. we acknowledge some do. You know, some do mm-hmm. see their own problems, and they don't care. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute. So some don't see it, others see it, and they just don't care. Well, it finally comes down to this almost pinpoint uh, definition, which is a person who is unwilling to engage in any kind of change of something that is obviously hurting uh, a person they love. So um, whether it's mm. that they're rude and it hurts the person they love and they're just like, hey, that's me. For better or for worse, that's who I am. Take it or leave it. That quality of resisting change becomes the defining characteristic of a jerk. And so figuring out on the positive side a person's conscience, how conscientious they are, mm-hmm. how much they engage in personal growth and change, um, what they learn from their own families, what how their defenses work, uh, whether they uh, always block or resist, uh, input from others, or whether they take it to heart and think about it, pray through it, and work at change. All these things are uh, characteristics now of a person that is, in the long run, going to be much easier to live with and and relate to versus somebody that is going to get labeled a jerk or jerkette. Ah, but I can hear a lot of uh, young women or young men seeing someone resistant to change where they really need to change and they're thinking and hoping and expecting my love if we get married will change him or her it's not the case is it well if it's not on the front end (laughs) no i know um you know i think 
I, I do believe that uh, we all can change if we engage in it. Um, but some people do resist it. And I do think relationships are frameworks that God designed for us to grow and change. I, my marriage to my wife was not with the premise, hey, this is who I am, um, accept me as I am, and that's what marriage is all about. My intention was, I am marrying you to change. <laughs> I want to be a better man mm, That's good because of my marriage to you. Mm-hmm. And I think my wife's intent was the same. You know, I'm marrying somebody that's going to make me a different woman than I ever could have been on my own, and a better woman at that. And so we both came in with kind of the understanding that this is what marriage is all about, growing together, changing together, uh, learning to adapt to each other. It changes. It's, it's essential to a successful relationship. So some people do not have that attitude, and um, they maybe show a little bit of that in the beginning, like they're willing to change. But as you get to know them, they're actually very resistant, and um, whether it's a, an ego issue or whether any number of reasons, okay? Uh, I'm not really saying what's a good reason or a bad reason, but I will tell you that when they are resistant to change, love will not make them change. And loving you, you know, just because somebody deeply loves you does not automatically change who they are. They will... You know, if they are a violent person, they will love you in violent ways, mm. um, unless they have that uh, desire and heart to really grow and change. So, um, yeah. Okay. You're listening to Faith and Family Radio. I'm your host, Steve Wood. My guest, who you've been hearing, is Dr. John Van Epp. He's the author of How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk. A lot of his resources are available at Love Thinks. Now, Dr. Van Epp, in our first episode together, you mentioned a a 90-day rule, but my guess is that um, if a couple was thinking about getting engaged, you would want longer than 90 days. Am I correct? Yeah, you're correct about that. Okay. What are we talking about? And, you know, what happens at 90 days that doesn't happen at nine days? And what happens at whatever period of time you think would be a good period of time to really get to know one another? Well, I, um, I've looked at 90 days from a lot of different angles. Um, and one probably was just how often I noticed when I worked with people that the first couple months, they, no matter how much, no matter how involved they were with the person, talking all the time, staying up late, you know, wee hours of the, of the morning, um, or even sleeping together, all these different things, it seemed like the first couple months, what they knew about this person and how they imagined this person to be in their mind started to shift somewhere around the third month to the fourth month. So somewhere right in there, in the third month, we'll call it, they started detecting things or learning things that challenged some of their preconceived ideas about who this person was. Okay. And I, I noticed that a lot, so um, I went into the research and I found, uh, when it came to things like uh, a research study on people that date, 50% of them break up in the third month. 
Hmm. I thought, well, that's really interesting because that is interesting. the first two months, <laughs> in the first two months, they're not breaking up because they they like who they see. But something happens in the third month, they begin to see things. So that kind of confirmed the same uh, um, idea that sure. around the third month, patterns are starting to be revealed that uh. Uh, show what the person's true colors are like. Now, you don't, that's not to say you totally know the person, but you are seeing things that you did not see earlier. One last area of research I thought was really interesting is um, when people are struggling with addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever it would be, um, if they can, on their own, stay you know, clean for 90 days, prior to 90 days, if they, um, if they struggle, then the likelihood for long-term improvement is, is a lot lower. But if they go the 90 days, right at that 90-day period, it seems like the likelihood that they've established a pattern is way higher. So something about how patterns are established as well as patterns are revealed all seem to be happening around that period of time. So that's why I, I, I grabbed onto it and I said, um, you know, the business world is called a 90-day probation period. Right, that's true. Ever. That's true. Because they, they, because why? Because in those 90 days, the quality of your worker starts to be revealed. Yeah, exactly. Differently than it was in the first 30 or 60. I think there's one little thing in your book that you have a, a number of compelling stories, but one that really hit me for whatever reason. Let's say you're 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 dating someone. And then over this, say, 90-day period, you notice that if you're out at a restaurant and your order gets messed up, which it happens, um, if the person really gets short or angry or just unkind with a waiter or a waitress, that's one of the little warnings. Because, say, if you're a, a young woman, you might be serving dinner to this guy, and how he's treating the waitress is how he may be treating you if you marry him. You know, you're so right. I um I have five areas to get to know. In your in your last show, we talked about the relationship attachment model that right. represents five bonds of the heart, which is different. This is so. If you think about your trust in somebody, or how much you, mm-hmm. you know, meet each other's needs, or how commit, like how how much time you're spending together, or even your attraction, all those things are part of that model. But the very first aspect of that model is what you know about somebody. And so I have five areas to get to know. And one of them is forget about how they treat you. Look at how they treat everybody else. Mm. Because we only have so many what we'll call relationship scripts. You know, how do I act in <laughs> yes. different relationships? Yes, you know, absolutely. Authority. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I uh, dated my wife in the, in the city of Philadelphia. We went to a university that was downtown and um she was a young freshman and i was an incoming sophomore when we first met so it was probably the winter maybe two months or three months after we had met and um i went into this little store it was called wawa's it was a uh, wawa's is a uh, like a, a convenience store and she was working behind the counter uh, helping to pay for her schooling and I'm sitting in there chatting with her, just kind of getting to know her. Really, really liked her, as I said before. You know, it was love at first sight for me, but I didn't know her. So I could have been love at first sight with a jerk. But um, 
as I got to know her, I've, I found that um, this is a perfect example. This um, uh, homeless individual comes in and th- buys a cup of coffee and just stands in there and gets warm. And then he comes over. And while I'm talking to Shirley, she takes the meat slicer because it has a little deli area, slices like three slices of meat and hands it to him. And out he walks. And I'm like, wow, are you, are you allowed <laughs> to do that? And she said, um, you know, they're always coming in here to get warm. It's like zero degrees out. They save all the change they can get and buy a cup of coffee. And I'm sure they're starving. So I asked my manager if I could just take a couple slices of meat and give it to a homeless person if they, if they asked or if they came over. And he said, in my 20 years of running the store, no one has ever asked me if they could do that. He goes, why not? Absolutely. Um, it's, uh, mm. it's the least we can do for them. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, even though we're early on in our relationship, watching how she thought about somebody in need told me a lot about her character, her conscience. I, I couldn't say that I absolutely knew her, but watching how she treated another I can tell you to this day, after 35 years of marriage, and this is 37 years later because we dated for two years, she still has that heart for others in need. And um, so it wasn't how she treated me alone that I was looking at. We're also looking at how a person relates to others in their life because they do become very predictive of what that person will be like. Now, you have an interesting chapter in your book entitled, you can't marry Jethro without getting the Clampets. <laughs> so in case you've never seen the Beverly Hillbillies, this is what we're talking <laughs> about, folks. That, uh, that, that title dates me so much. I know. But But I'll tell you this. The, the trend more and more is, you know, Young people are getting further and further away from home, so to speak, when their relationship developments take place. And you're going to just be utterly blindsided without seeing the, I call it putting on 3D goggles by seeing that person in the family context. That is so true, Steve. I, um, You know, again, when we're teaching this class, it's what's really fun about the class versus the book is, how, is all the interaction types of activities that we have the classes do. Uh, especially, we have them do this whole family tree where they have to make a tree as a, as in small groups and put uh, leaves in the tree of things that they want to repeat from their families, things uh, like the dead leaves at the bottom of the tree of things they don't want to repeat, and then new buds of new things that they've seen or learned that they want to add to the marriage and family that someday they establish. And we do this all the way from high school all the way to people in their 60s. It's amazing. But whether your family is present or absent, whether it's a broken family, uh, uh, a single-parent family, a two-parent family, a blended family, listen, we all grew up. We all had these experiences that would be familial type of experiences and they, they got internalized, and they created templates of what we thought the roles of different family members would be, of how we learned power, because there's power distributions, and, and all the way down to how we believe love and affection and emotion should be shown and managed. All of that was first introduced to us in familial context. 
And so it's not just the family members, <laughs> because sometimes they move into your basement or you <laughs> you have to take care of them some, some way or another, but it's also how the family's been internalized. All of that needs to be talked about and explored and is very predictive. It's one of the strongest predictors of, you know, what people will be like in the family they establish, the marriage they establish. So look at what did you take from the family from which you have come? Now, if you are basically just coming home, say, for Thanksgiving and saying, Mom and Dad, here's, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so, and, you know, we're interested in marrying each other, you know, at that point, you've really made the commitment before you've learned anything. Yeah, I think that um, that's so true. It's it's not always possible to actually meet all the family, mm-hmm. but some of what I've tried to do is the five areas to get to know, I've tried to put them into questions that can be explored and talked about. I I believe... Uh, Give us some I, samples of those questions. Well, we have a... Um, in the in the book, we have questions dispersed all through the chapters. On those, I have a chapter on each of the five areas. Mm-hmm. And we have questions. So there's about 20 questions. And in the, um, if you teach the course or if they attend the course when it's taught, the workbooks have they call them the 99 questions. So it's like 20 questions per area. And um, I, I kind of tease people. I mean, you can't learn all these questions and throw your workbook in your hip pocket and go out on a date and order an appetizer and pull the workbook out and say, hey, by the way, <laughs> yes. I, I, just, I just met you, but um, who are you close to in the family in which you grew up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know the question, it's like knowing the targets. Mm-hmm. Then when it feels fitting, um, the questions just pop out of your mouth. And next thing you know, one question leads to another, and you get to know a lot about somebody by asking the right questions. I found, a, I found a lot of people don't really deeply explore these things at all. And so if they know what to talk about, it gives them a real kind of leg up on being able to feel empowered. This is what I'm doing when I'm getting to know this person. That, that was really my whole goal is to make people empowered on how to run their hearts and what to get to know about somebody, how to mix it with, the head knowledge, you know, what, what do I need to explore and talk to this person about? And what are warning signs, you know, when I see something that comes up, you know, what what does that tell me and what should I do about it? So now, hopefully those areas can get translated into conversations initially, and that will then help people. I, I was going to tell you, it's not just talking, by the way. you got to be together with people in different settings and you have to do it over time. So we've talked about 90-day probation period. That's part of the time period that is involved in revealing things and patterns starting to be exposed. But you have to see somebody in different settings, see how they mm-hmm. treat a whole variety of people, but you have to talk about uh, a lot of stuff that I think does not get talked about. And wouldn't you need to also talk about uh, not only see them in, in various settings in real time, but also explore their past relationships, uh, both successes and failures? That's one of the, when I said uh, one of the five areas to get to know is how they act in all their other relationships. And one of one of those other relationships is, is exactly that, Steve. 
their their exes. Mm-hmm. So um, how they have, how they're still handling that person if they have that person around, or you know, they do they have a friendship with them? They have any kind of communication? How did they break up? All those things tell you a lot about somebody. But I I think that. Um, this whole process of getting to know can be a wonderful experience. I don't want people to think that this is drudgery. <laughs> when, when I met Shirley, I couldn't get to know enough. I mean, I was excited to know everything about her. It just was nice to, to give people, I find it very helpful to give people categories and specific questions so that the getting to know process is better defined rather than it being just this sea of subjectivity. But you're absolutely right that how somebody handled an ex-relation, uh, you know, an ex-partner, somebody, it doesn't have to be ex-wife or ex-husband, it could just be an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, but how they handled that relationship, what they were happy with, even what the other person thought of them, you know, what was the other person not happy with um, when they were dating you? Mm-hmm. So... Many times those things repeat, don't they? They do. You're listening to Faith and Family. My special guest is Dr. John Van Epp, author of How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk, The Foolproof Way to Follow Your Heart Without Losing Your Mind. Dr. Van Epp, we just have a minute left, but I did see where your program is being taught and shared amongst the U.S. military, and that's just... I think a really good thing. Tell us about about your program and just a real quick how that's being used in military settings. Yeah, I have um, several programs. They're all based on that relationship attachment model, and um, the one specifically you and I have been talking about is referred to as PICK, P-I-C-K, and um, that program. I, I'm real excited about uh, all the different ways it's being used. Like you mentioned, from the military on, I'm really excited that it's being used in high school settings. A quick example, Steve, is the state of Utah has gotten funding for the extension uh, office to really bring it to almost all of the high schools throughout Utah. Wonderful. And it's wonderful to go upstream. And I can say whether you are 14, 40, or 80, choosing a partner can be a very confusing process. can be exhilarating, but if you are empowered with some good knowledge, knowledge is power, then you can feel way more confident in the journey of love. That's tremendous. Again, you've been listening to Faith and Family, Episode 43. My guest, Dr. John Van Epp, author of How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk. His website is lovethinks.com. Pay it a visit. Till next time, this is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.